Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Welcome back to another edition of Life, Death, and the Law. I'm attorney Adam Hanson, and I'm in the studio today with Sean Garner, my partner. We've got Tom Sparks as well, another attorney in the office. And uh, there's been a lot going on in the news lately. Obviously, this is an election year, and so things are ramping up, and I can feel the energy in the air. Can't you feel it, Sean? Oh, I feel it. I feel it. And uh, we were talking recently about this idea of journalism and how it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but uh, it seems to me like journalism might be on the verge of being lost. And what I mean by that is (laughs) every time I tune in, to some sort of news program, mm-hmm. I get a little bit of facts mixed with a lot of opinion. And it's mostly opinion more than facts, in my opinion. I'm laughing over here because it's kind of like saying, it seems to me like there might be a problem at the border. I'm not sure. It seems to me that there's more immigration occurring. Well, it's because the government <laughs> tells me that there's no problem at the border. And it's they tell so, me there's no problem like, with the media. overwhelmingly obvious that there is no news anymore as far as the mainstream media. It's just uh, everybody has their own editorial. That's what they have. They've they've got their own opinion clip, and uh, they don't care about being objective at all. So they just tell us what they think and uh, what we should think, and we either get in lockstep or bias or racist or misogynist or sexist. And uh, or then you go on the other side and, and it's the same thing, you know, with Fox News, it's like how the other channels are all terrible. You've got some independents out there that are growing in popularity, but they're also biased as well because they've either been canceled and that's why they're independent or, you know, they've, they've got their own opinions and they don't they don't uh, put themselves out to be journalists. They're like, I'm independent. Here's my opinion. This is what I see. It's interesting to me that a person would take what's presented to them as gospel truth in in these situations. In a lot of situations, I, and maybe it's just my personality, but I feel like when somebody tells me to do something, my first inclination is to not do it. Yeah, like, I know. I, it's I really annoying. Back. I push back because I don't know why. Maybe that's just my personality. So if, if somebody's telling me, oh, this is this and this is that and this is the other, my first inclination is to doubt that. Yeah. Is that a personality that only I have, or is that the majority of Americans? Personality disorder? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you, don't, you don't feel that way? Uh, no, I do. Yeah, if, if people say something is a specific way, I do want to see why. what is your evidence. Why don't you just tell me um, all of the factors that you've considered, and then let me draw my own conclusion. And John Stossel, he points this out in a little clip that he puts out. He's got a YouTube channel now. And he was a journalist for 2020, back in the good old days when news was news. And But he would, even, even in those days, 2020 wasn't your typical news channel. It would take a story where there was a specific conclusion to be had, and he would point out him and Barbara, um, what was her last name? Streisand. Walters. No, Walters. Anyway, John Stossel, he would have these bits on 2020, and he would say, okay, th- these are all the things that are happening, and it would kind of be put out there as news, but there was really a direct conclusion as to what was um, what was the narrative that they were putting out there. But we knew 2020, that, that was kind of the conclusion. It wasn't your ABC Nightly News or NBC or any of those, you know, 
typical nightly news broadcast where they said everything in monotone, regardless of how egregious or how happy an event it was. And so we could all kind of just listen to the facts that were occurring and draw our own conclusions. So then now he's pointing out the media bias specifically. So let's, we got a clip on this. Let's play the clip and uh, dissect it. Notice how some in the media just suck up to some politicians? I'm struck just in your presence. Struck in her presence. Looking you in the eye with your passion that you are displaying. Republicans are treated differently. If, if I may finish this answer, well, let me this, just, is, this is I, really I'm gonna, important. I'm going to go ahead and interrupt you here. On the DOJ are you comfortable and the with FBI, that term? Let's just, I mean, just, we have just seen... my question, though, Governor. Excuse me. Aggressive interviews are easy to notice, but some bias is more subtle. For example, what a great campaign. The media have always covered Iowa caucus victory speeches. We're going to want to listen in very, very closely. Thank you, Iowa. But this year, when Trump won. Thank you. We love you all. CNN cut away from his speech. Here he is right now under under my voice. You hear him repeating his anti-immigrant rhetoric. Actually, no, Jake. You hear him. We don't. CNN wouldn't let us actually listen to Trump and decide for ourselves. MSNBC showed none of Trump's speech. Rachel Maddow said, We will let you know if there's any news made. Maddow says it's not responsible to broadcast Trump live because he lies so much. But we reporters can point that out instead of cutting away when he talks. I've repeatedly reported on Trump's lies. Trump lies even about unimportant things like the crowd at his inauguration the ratings of his TV show. But Biden lies, too. Here he lies about doing well in law school. Ended up in the top half of my class. Biden now concedes he did not graduate in the top half of his law school class. He also lied when he said, I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. I shouldn't be surprised that the media treat Republicans differently. For every Republican in newsrooms, there are 10 Democrats. And now NPR has actually hired this woman to be its new CEO. She not only tweeted, Trump's a racist, but during BLM looting said, sure, looting is counterproductive, but it's fine because what they're looting comes from a system of oppression. She's now the boss of government-funded radio? Yes. Here's another example. The governor of Texas refuses to give in to federal law. Recently, reporters suddenly got very upset about rule of law. The governor of Texas refuses to give in to federal law. The media can't believe that Texas politicians put up a fence and won't remove it even after the feds told them to. But when it comes to sanctuary cities, the tone is very different. Communities that shield undocumented immigrants by not reporting offenses to immigration enforcement. They choose not to follow federal immigration laws. They simply choose not to follow the law. They don't refuse like Texas does. The governor, the governor of, of Texas, Texas refuses, refuses to, give to give in to federal, to federal law. law. Finally, the way the media labels politicians is just bias. Argentina's new president is a libertarian who promises to take a chainsaw to big government. So the media call him... Far-right. Far-right radical. Far-right Javier Millet. Far-right Javier Millet. Far-right libertarian Javier Millet. At least she calls him libertarian, but libertarians aren't far-right. Most of us support ending wars, free trade, gay marriage, and all sorts of things far from far-right. 
Malay supports legalizing the sale of human organs. Maybe you oppose organ markets, but it's not far right. Conservatives are more likely to oppose organ sales. The shallow media just label anyone who doesn't agree with them right wing. Argentina elected a right wing former TV host. Far right. Far right. And Trump like. Donald Trump of Argentina. He makes Trump almost look like a conventional political candidate. He is nothing like Trump. Economist Daniel DiMartino points out that Malay's policies are very different from Trump's. The only thing that's similar to Trump is that he went against the establishment. He's funny in his speeches. He's charismatic. He has crazy hair. But that's it. I mean, this is a guy who's for free trade. This is a guy with very set on principles, who's very smart on, on economics. The media eagerly cover protesters who oppose Malays cutting the size of government. Thousands are attending at demonstrations opposing his drastic cuts to public spending. Media call most any budget cut drastic, slash and burn astronomical, draconian. But at least in Argentina, the proposed cuts are big. A lot of people don't like this. Unions are protesting. In Argentina, it's very popular to protest and block streets. It's the second protest against him this month. But President Malay did something different because some union members get welfare payments. He said that anybody who blocks a street illegally will lose all welfare benefits. Guess what happened? No streets were blocked. Who knew that protesters blocking streets could be stopped by threatening their government handouts? You won't hear it from the leftist media. Libertarians get trashed. Republicans get interrupted and their speeches cut off. But Democrats largely get a pass, even if you can't tell what they say. Beer brewed here, it is used to make the brew beer in this final. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. But there is some good news. Today, more people ignore leftist media. CNN's primetime viewership fell behind the History Channels recently. More people now get their news from independent journalists who publish in places like Substack and YouTube. Like us, it's a good trend because we're more thoughtful than the silly people on TV. That's John Stossel saying that he's an independent media. But obviously that wasn't a very um, objective viewpoint on the media. It was very subjective, as, as Thomas pointed out. Thomas, what did you take on that? I, I happen to agree with a lot of what he's saying, but I think it's ironic that someone pointing out media bias is giving you know, a, a YouTube video that's filled with his own bias. And I think we can talk, we can talk about it more throughout the segment, but... I think that's a growing trend of the media today and something that's dangerous for a free society is having every piece of information couched in mm -hmm. some sort of opinion. Yeah, and, and I wonder, is it even possible to present non-biased news anymore and, and, and have an equal footing in the discussion? Because everything else is so biased that if you present it as neutral, you're going to be lost in the sound waves and the sound bites. We have to take a break. This is Life, Death, and the Law. We'll be back. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. 
Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit YumaEstatePlanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. We're talking about media bias. That is something that is so overwhelmingly obvious for everybody, but what I want to talk about is what do we do about it? And so what I left the last segment off with was you can't really present just neutral points and, and all sides evenly anymore because if you do, then what's going to be more prevalent out there is the bias information from the opposing side. And your message is going to be lost. So, for example, Adam, I want to get your take. What if I went in and uh, I was going to represent a client, and I saw all the facts, both sides of the story, and I presented both sides of the story equally in an objective manner to the judge. Am I a good attorney? No. So I lose in that situation. Not only is my client upset, but uh, maybe I get a little bit... Um, th- that's an ethical violation. Well, I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I think we... So I was in court a couple weeks ago, and there's an attorney from Phoenix that came down, and, and that like right off the bat, he was coming at me and our law firm and the client and how bad we are and how horrible of people we are and how, how could we possibly do this and the other? And it was like, so he pretty much nailed it. Yeah. He nailed it. Okay. (laughs) I'm like, like, dude, you don't don't come down here and just start going to town. Like, and so in my rebuttal, I just have to say, well, that's not accurate. You know, this is why this was done. This is how it was done. This is why we filed this and that or the other. And this is why the client did this or the other. And so it, it, it looks bad on that attorney. I won, obviously. I mean, like usual, we won. But and partly because I was intellectually honest to the, to the judge. And I don't know, when we went to law school, when I went to law school, a good attorney, we were taught a good attorney will point out the defects in your particular case. Because what you want to do is you want to take the teeth out of that particular argument for opposing counsel. So you, when we come into a situation, you, you mentioned, I've got good facts and I've got bad facts. I want to bring up the really good facts and put those in light of my client and really propose that. But I also want to make the judge aware of the bad facts, but counteract those before opposing counsel can. I want to, I want to create the narrative. I want to tell why, yeah, that's bad, but it's not that bad. And so downplay the bad and highlight the good. Yeah. That, and, that, and that's certainly subjective, but in, in the court system, it's an adversarial system. The judge, contrary to what a lot of people believe, that the judge actually 
makes the decisions as to what the law is as far as how um, it occurs with the facts. The, the attorneys are the ones that are presenting all the evidence. The judge is simply there to referee the attorneys and to make sure that the law is not misinterpreted and make the final interpretation on the law. More and more today we have basically judges that are advocates of their own political stances or their own um, agendas. And obviously that's not supposed to be the system. It's supposed to be an adversarial system between the attorneys. The judge is supposed to be neutral. I, yeah, I don't know. It depends, I, I guess, on that. I think the more, uh, my opinion is the more local judges or right. the lower down on the tier in, in the uh, trial courts, we're going to find a more unbiased Judge, when you get up to the appeals level, I would argue that maybe we did, we start to see some, and that's what I'm talking. about, What we see in the news on the federal level, yeah, and and that's it's it's kind of unfortunate because the news covers so much of, of what's happening at the federal level in the federal courts, whereas that's only probably a fraction of what's going on in the in the judicial system. What's going on every day in the superior court system, which is in in the counties, that's ninety. I don't know, high 90s of what, what is going on in the judicial system. But those judges, they are unbiased. They don't make headlines. Um, they decide everything from landlord-tenant issues to life sentences in jail. And uh, they don't make the news for it, but we get these federal judges that are putting forth their um, political agendas that do make the news, and then we feel like, okay, we judges are biased now. I feel like the, that's a product of our quick appeal system. So you have a very limited time to appeal, but it is a quick appeal. So the, the court, the judges at the local level on the trial level that we typically go in front of most of the time, they, in my opinion, they're trying to be as unbiased as possible and try and follow the, the law as it's been carved out over time in the state of Arizona, because if they don't, then they have the potential of being overturned by an appeals court, which doesn't look good for them. Yeah, it's embarrassing. It's really embarrassing. I feel like, I don't know if this is the case, but I feel like those appellate court judges don't have as much of a an incentive. It's not highly likely that they will be overturned. It's and much more difficult for them to be overturned than it is for a trial court judge. Another real important issue is they're appointed. They're generally appointed for life whereas the Superior Court judges are elected. And so they need to present to the community that they're actually representing the law and not just their opinion. So just to give the listeners an idea of the system, we, if you're going to get sued, you go, you're going to go to Superior Court here in Yuma County because that's the trial court level. If you lose, let's say, and you want to appeal that, then you're going to move on to, in, in general, if it's a Arizona law-based issue and it's not there's no federal issues included in that then you're going to go up to the next level which is the Arizona appellate court so the appellate court's going to look at the they won't, you don't hear facts there you don't add any new elements of of facts it's just they're going to look at the trial court judge and that hearing or that particular matter and see if there were any problems with procedure or was there some gross uh, injustice that happened because of some sort of um misunderstanding of the law or something, but they're not going to take new evidence. And, and it's, so it goes from the trial court to the appellate court in Arizona. And then if you lose there and you want to keep going, then you go to the Arizona Supreme court. 
So there's these three tiers that you have to move through in order to try and get your case ultimately overturned if you lose at the trial court level. If you lose at the Arizona Supreme Court level, now you can petition to the United States Supreme Court. If, it's a, if it is a federal issue. Yeah. If it's if solely it, a state issue, then you're done. You're done, yeah. Sorry, yeah, I, that's true. If it's a federal issue from the beginning, that means there's a controversy between, it might be an Arizona law issue, but there's some, for some reasons, bringing in some federal or other state law for some reason, we're battling with another state or something's going on outside the boundaries of Arizona enough that we can take it to the U.S. District Court. Um, then you start at the federal level in district court, and then you go to the appeals court in your circuit, which for us would be the Ninth Circuit over in uh, San Francisco, right? And um, if you lose there, then you're going to go. Then you're going to petition the Supreme Court. So it's very difficult. The, the higher up you go, it's very difficult to get your case overturned, and it's much more difficult, in my opinion, for them to have them the judges in those higher courts to have some sort of, uh, I don't know, accountability, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. You know, any, any appointment of office, it seems like there's less and less accountability. You know, when, when you're appointed for life, you don't really care what the people think. You're just going to do what feels good and goes along with your agenda. Which brings us to it. So prior to this show, we were talking about last week, there, there were the hearings at the Supreme Court level for the Colorado case for Trump being taken off the ballot. So Colorado decided, hey, he was guilty of insurrection. We're just going to say that he was. He was never found guilty. He was never charged against him. Um, I don't even know how that mechanism would work federally, but Colorado decided, well, yeah, he was guilty of it. So because of that, they're going to use some obscure thing that was put together for Civil War vets. Yeah, how did they jump to that conclusion? Like, okay, if he's guilty for insurrection, should he be taken off the ballot? That was the question to be decided. It was never, is he guilty for insurrection, right? There was never the evidence that was presented for it. Thomas, you looked into that case a little bit. How, how did the question become come before the court that, okay, one that is guilty of insurrection should have their name taken off the ballot? Trump, we already know, is guilty of insurrection, so he should have his name taken off the ballot was their conclusion. Mm-hmm. How, how did they get there? So I think that came down to prosecutorial um, discretion because the prosecutor holds a lot of discretion on what cases they want to charge, right? So when, he, gets, he gets to decide that he wants to press charges for insurrection, right. but who decided that he actually was guilty of insurrection? That would have to have been the lower courts. It wasn't. So but this they never is a, had a trial. Well, this is another example of what we were just talking about. So it went through the Colorado court system through their three tiers mm-hmm. at the trial level uh, in Colorado. Then it got appealed. The appeal stuck, and then it went to the Colorado Supreme Court, stuck. And so the only remedy now is to go to the United States Supreme Court. Why? Because there's a federal question there. What what Colorado is doing is now they're the argument is the opposing argument to Colorado's prosecution is that Colorado doesn't get the, they, they are essentially deciding the election for the whole United States. Us in Arizona, they're saying, well, basically they're taking a, a presidential candidate off the ballot for us in Arizona, because if he doesn't win Colorado, then that takes away from the electors that he can get um, in the electoral college, which could have a detrimental effect on who the president of the United States is. is. And we in Arizona didn't have any say in that. We didn't have 
you took it from us. And so that's the counter argument is like, what, what gives Colorado the right to remove essentially a candidate from the United States ballot, if you will, from every, every other state is harmed by what Colorado is doing. And we didn't have any choice in that. And so that's the federal issue that went in front of the Supreme court. Tom, you were, you listened to a lot of those oral arguments last week. I listened to a little bit. I was really surprised to hear some of the more liberal judges like Kagan. Kagan was the first one that I listened to and she was not having it. I mean, she was going at Colorado and uh, I'm like, Oh, that does not bode well. You know, she was, she was not finding any reason why. And that doesn't mean that that's how she's coming down They They actually do a pretty good job. When you listen to these hearings, these justices do a pretty good job of grilling those, no matter who, who they're going to side with, they still grill them. They want to flesh out all these issues. But uh, you listen to a couple of the guys, right? Alito. I, I listened to justice Kavanaugh and Gorsuch oh. and uh, they, I mean, they had a lot of the same, I would say 10 like tampered questions that Kagan was asking and justice Jackson in that, they weren't buying the fact that this was only a Colorado issue. They were really, you know, assuming, and I think correctly, that this was going to affect the whole country and that Colorado couldn't hide behind its own state borders, for example. And then also, when Supreme Court justices, when they, when it seems historically they want to get to a certain point, they'll ask questions, but they'll be softball questions. They'll throw a softball to the to the attorney in the form of a question that they can knock out of the park because they want their colleagues to hear the answer because it's what they themselves are thinking on the bench, but they're not allowed to say it as a judge. So they'll elicit that response from the attorney. And that wasn't happening with the Colorado attorney. They weren't throwing softballs to him. It really seemed like they were really just unhappy to be there and that they weren't buying his argument, which who knows if the attorney really did buy his own argument. He's at the end of the day, he's an appointed position too, and he has to represent you know, what the state put him up to. So I'm not sure if he even bought his own argument at times because it didn't seem very strong to me. And so elections and Cody, you know, a little bit about this. You were, you were a, you're a political guy back in the day. You're on the city council for how many years? Like eight years. Yeah. Eight years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you're a career politician by this, by this time. And uh, so uh, when it comes to election law, is that federal or is that state? Oh, state. Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. yeah. It's weird because but, a lot of the issues are state-specific issues, and that's what Colorado is arguing. Hey, we're not hurting anybody else. Like, this is just – just leave us alone. We think he's guilty of insurrection. It doesn't bother you, Delaware. It doesn't bother you, Arizona. Just let us do our thing. That's the argument of the Secretary of State of Colorado. Why? Because the Secretary of State is tasked with election issues. Right. So that's why the case is named. What is it? It's uh, Anderson v. Griswold. Griswold is the uh, the guy from uh, National Lampoon's. Yeah. No, the, Griswold is <laughs> Griswold is the secretary. She's the secretary of state in Colorado. So uh, this Anderson is bringing a case against the secretary of state saying, hey, man, you're I want to vote for Trump and you took him off my ballot. Mm -hmm. OK, we got to go to a break. This is life, death and law. We'll be back after this. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, 
Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. We're talking about whether or not you can um, participate in the media with a non-bias, objective point of view and have any chance at, at, at getting your voice heard or whether or not you're just going to be drowned out because everybody is so biased today. Like, we played a uh, clip from John Stossel which was quickly pointed out by Thomas, very biased. And John Stossel is saying, I'm an independent reporter, and I just report the facts. And the facts are, the media is very biased. And here's all the reasons why. And, <laughs> and so, um, the media is biased. Uh, of course, we've got NBC, ABC, MSNBC, and um, CBS. So they all are very, very adamant to toe the Democratic line. And we even have NPR. I used to listen to NPR a lot. I loved it in the early 2000s. Of course, at that time, I was naive to whether or not I was being brainwashed and, and it was biased or not. But I felt that it presented the issues and, and fairly evenly. But today, it, it's difficult for me to listen to it and, and not get upset with how biased and, and how like unabashedly biased they are about issues. And I'm okay with people saying their opinions. Of course, that's what we're doing right now is saying our opinions. But I'm funding that radio station, and uh, it's supposed to represent national views and take an even approach on issues and let us decide for ourselves. And what I hate is hypocrisy. Because they're saying that they're doing that, but they're most obviously not. Yeah, I think your example earlier of attorneys being zealous advocates for their clients and doing having a duty to fight on their behalf, I, I do not want that for the media. I, I reject the premise that they should be advocates because I think of his, historically the leaders of the world who have advocates in the media that's Xi Jinping has advocates in the media Adolf Hitler had advocates Joseph Stalin had advocates and that was a propaganda machine because they were zealously advocating for their leader and that turned out to be terrible and they would take down any opposing media outlets Mm -hmm. And, and and that was one of the things that when I of the few things that I actually learned in high school, that was one of the things that I took away, was in order for Adolf Hitler, Hitler to come to the power, 
so quickly and so comprehensively was he had to take out opposing views on um, the media. So he controlled the media. And there were a lot of these radio stations broadcasting out of their basement and rebroadcasting like BBC News because, I don't know if it was BBC at the time, but it was basically the British version of what was going on. And um, those guys were being targeted very heavily by uh, the Nazi party because they were not allowing one simple narrative to go through to the the people. And that's how Hitler was so powerful and um, had such an allegiance by, by the nation. That seems to be happening, and we seem... The irony is the media that is calling others Nazis and fascists are actually following in the pattern of the fascist Nazi leaders. Yeah, and I also think that like we were talking a little bit earlier about sometimes that can be tedious where you have an example that is just blatantly obvious where if someone gets hit by a car and some reporter wants to say this person hit this person and killed them, that's technically a conclusion, and w- a, maybe a different way to rephrase that is they hit them with the car, and we're waiting for the autopsy report to or see if— A car ran a stoplight, mm-hmm. there was a collision, and an individual died. Right. Those are all facts. Those are all facts, and whether the car killed the person is a conclusion. Now, a passerby would obviously be able to say they killed that person with the car, but what I compare that to is how many times have we heard on the news, and I'm thankful for this still, is— Someone was caught on surveillance camera killing so- – allegedly killing somebody. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. And I think that that is an important word. Yeah. Because even though anyone with a brain can say, well, it's obvious. We got them on video. They did. That allegedly reminds us about due process in the country. And it's, it's constantly calling back our minds to the important due process that we have. So when it is close – and we really have someone who we don't know that they did something, our default is due process and allegedly. So I'd compare that to the media. I don't want you to even get close to a conclusion because I want to be constantly reminded that I need to be seeking out my own information and avoid biases so I can make my own conclusions. Um, And I need to say allegedly to avoid slander, right? That's how that works, right? Well, I don't know. Um, I suppose I hadn't even thought about it from that point of view. I mean, if you say allegedly, then I think you're pointing out the fact that due process or we need to bring evidence from both sides of the story and, and flesh it out a little bit more before we draw a conclusion. So it's still up in the air. And of course, the people that draw the conclusion in our justice system are uh, the juries and they're juries of our peers because, and of course that was instituted because um, in pre-revolutionary days, people would be tried by juries in England and that they saw that as fundamentally unfair. That, those aren't their peers, right? So we want to be tried by juries of individuals that go through society like we do, that aren't these you know, elites that think that they're better than everybody else and can judge us from a different standard. Agreed. I don't think this concept is new. I mean, uh, we went to, my wife and I and my twin girls went to uh, Philadelphia last year. We took a few tours, and one of those tours was Benjamin Franklin's printing press. And the tour guide made reference to 
Benjamin Franklin, he, he was an outlandish dude. And uh, he, he was a kind of like an apprentice in a printing shop. And he decided, ah, I can do this myself. Once he learned the trade, he was in his teens. And so he went out and um, started doing his own newspaper. Most of his newspaper was just propaganda and, and pointing people to his businesses that he had all these businesses in town. And he was just, he was the master of that, you know? So I think it's not a new concept and especially political things. I mean, he was, nobody was really paying attention to Philadelphia during the revolution. That's why it was kind of like this breeding ground of these independent ideas and, and uh, anarchy against the British crown. And a lot of that had to do with Benjamin Franklin and his printing press. He had the gall to print what he thought was, um, you know, in his political mind, what everybody needed to come to the conclusion of. So it is like a, a John Stossel type mentality. I, I take issue, I think, um, Tom, with not not with everything that you said, but when it comes to the John Stossel clip that we played, mm-hmm. John Stossel isn't holding himself out to be an independent journalist um, and, and uh, n- not giving his, us his opinion. He's always done that, even when he was at ABC, and he, he did these same little things. He would do these little investigative report of things. He would always come to a conclusion there. And, um, and it was very clear to his audience what it, yeah, he, he's doing he, that on purpose. Yeah, that he was advocating for one specific. I think that's conclusion. a different. I think it's a different um, forum than the nightly news, where I tune in to see what's going on in Yuma or what's going on in the United States, and I'm expecting them to just tell me facts. I don't need them to tell me the what their subjective conclusion is, and that's what's happened. I think is for these news agencies that are supposed to be giving us just the facts as we know them, not what, what they're alleged to be or what, you know, there's so much that needs to come out. It's what the facts are at the time. And then we as listeners or watchers can come to our own conclusions based on what you're telling us, but don't hide facts. Give us both sides of things and let us come to the conclusion. So my question is, is that type of uh, reporting dead? Because one side has taken such a strong stand for bias reporting. And so therefore, you can't go in to a story with an unbiased, neutral approach because you're just going to get killed. Like your neutral approach compared to their overly biased approach is just going to look so weak and overwhelmed. And as attorneys, we are charged with a duty to represent our client in the best light, to to present the facts that are in the best favor of our client. Now, certainly we present the other facts as well, but that's part of our strategy because we know they're going to come out, so we want to downplay the bad facts and want to highlight the good facts. And I think that we're getting to the point in America, in journalism, where it's now an adversarial system, where it is the mainstream media, they are the advocates for the Democratic Party. And then you've got the independent, so-called independent media, which is the advocates for free speech and generally is taking a more a larger approach of just pointing out the hypocrisy or um, the, the, the very important facts that are left out of the mainstream media. And I know that uh, it, it, it comes across as maybe conservative news, but you got Russell Brand out there who even five years ago wouldn't have been considered a conservative. Ten years ago would have been considered a raging liberal. You got Joe, Logan, Joe Rogan, the same thing. And um, a lot of the people fall within that category. Tucker Carlson, he was a host on CNN. 
Glenn Beck started CNN. Right. Or came from there, yeah. And so, and all of these individuals started their their newscast originally trying to put out the news. And then they had these CEOs of these companies saying, this is going to be your narrative. This is how you're going to present it. These are the stories you're going to cover. And so it kept pushing them further and further. And the ones that held stronger to their values really just got pushed out. And you got Megan Kelly. She's one of those two. Now, since they got pushed out, they've become more um, fixed in their views. And so they oppose the people that pushed them out. And so they've become more conservative talking heads. And so now we've got this adversarial system in the journalistic world. And so maybe that's just something that we have to uh, accept. I think rarely, I, I don't know about you that are listening, but personally, I don't get my news anymore from my TV. I don't have time to really watch TV. So I have to watch kind of clips on YouTube is what I look at. And, and uh, once you start doing that, now you're going to have a curated feed of things that you've watched in the past create this feed of, you know, things that YouTube thinks I'm interested in. And so that one leads to another and you watch these feeds. And so people tend to rise to your feed because you've watched them multiple times. And I think, um, Sean and I, we share the same YouTube account. Don't tell YouTube or alphabet, but, uh, we do that. And so I'll see what Sean's watching. He'll see what I'm watching. And so we have this curated feed of, Tucker Carlson, but we also have Bill Maher on there because you watch a lot of him. We'll see uh, Joe Rogan. We'll see we'll see all sorts of different voices. But I I like it because it's not just it's not just one one side of the story. Well, last week on the on the heels of the Super Bowl, if you watched that, you saw this interchange between Travis Kelsey and his coach. It wasn't really an exchange. It was more of like Travis Kelsey got in the face of his coach. <laughs> This yeah. grandpa of an old man, you know. And Kelsey, this, this young brute, just screaming at him. Yeah. And so that, when I saw, I was watching the Super Bowl, and I saw that, and I, it really left, left a bad taste in my mouth. And I was really surprised that, that Coach Reed didn't, like, respond by benching him. I, I, if I were the coach, I would have stuck him on the bench for at least a quarter. You know, get your head right, and you'll come back in. Um, or do something. Or the NFL fining him. I mean, that is finable. You're not allowed to touch other people, especially your head coach, um, and do that kind of stuff. So it is a finable offense, but none of that happened. And, and I, I, w- I couldn't figure it out because I saw it happen on TV. And even the announcers were like, that is unacceptable. You know, they're, they're all talking about it. Well, lo and behold, when I was on YouTube after that, the day after, I, I saw this clip from his name is Benny Johnson. And I like a lot of his commentary. Yeah. But he was going at Kelsey and, and kind of like, to me, it was like overboard. You know, he should be... Uh, kicked out of the league and uh, like really overboard. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, like I agree. Something should happen. But that's, that's my point. All of these talking these people, heads. Yeah. yeah. That have, that have come to prominence. They have very strong viewpoints and, and they felt it's that like necessary. scorched earth. And I'm yeah. like, ah, I don't know. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that. So then I did a little bit more research and the little research that I did, Andy Reid himself came out and said, no, I understand. He was highly, you know, he was really excited and I love him. He loves, like, and Kelsey says, I love my, like, and they have a really good relationship. I, I already knew that because. Well, I think he's being very generous. He, I, that's what I thought too. But he, 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 he lended some information to what happened in that situation. And it wasn't what we thought it was, is basically what Andy Reid was saying. He's like, no, it wasn't, it wasn't, he wasn't mad. He was, 
just excited to get back in. He wanted to get back in. Unless he was taking pop shots at his girlfriend, then he shouldn't deserve to be shoved. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you can say at a coach that gets you screamed in the face and shoved. Um, no. My point is, there's, uh, there's always there's a couple no, sides to the story, and yeah. we, we tend to jump to conclusions, and we have commentary nowadays that we're, we're hearing in all sorts of different ways uh, about scorched earth. You know, you just jump to this conclusion and, and uh, reach an objective, or sorry, a subjective conclusion, and I'm going to present that as if it's fact. Yeah, right. And quite honestly, you know, we've got to go, but we, we present our opinions. Here's the difference. We're stating them as our opinions and as biased opinions. And also, we're also we, we kind of put it out there. We don't know everything. We're learning this as we go. We research a lot. We watch a lot of um, resources and read a lot of sub stacks and try to get our news from different sources. And then we, we put it out there so you guys can hear the stuff that is in between the lines that is broadcasted both on the right and on the left and hear the interesting stuff that you might not hear from general news media outlets. So hopefully that is refreshing to you that at least we're honest about our bias. We got to go. We'll talk to you next week. This is Life, Death, and the Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. Hey, Yuma, Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.